All right. So, unless something goes horribly wrong. Take it away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack, here with Joseph Dorowski and a special guest, Joseph Hegstrom Pratt. Hi, everybody. And uh, Welcome, Joseph. Welcome, welcome. Uh, Joseph, uh, what, w- what would you like the world to know you for? So I have a... Uh, I, I really want to be a movie critic, um, and so I have a blog. Um, it's called the... Volmain 13 Super Gaming Blog at Blogspot because I was I was uh, not really sure what I was doing. It was it was I review video games too. Um, you might want to repeat that. But for anyway, the, oh, oh, the 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 really long the Volmain Volmain 13 Super Gaming Blog at Blogspot.com. I'm sure we can put a link to that. Were were Volmain one through twelve super gaming blog dot already taken? <laughs> yes, exactly. There was there was so many other people, um, and twelve others. Anyway, I have a uh, reviews on that, and anyway, that's what I want to do. So, thanks awesome. for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here, and today we've brought you on to talk with us about Woody and Buzz in the Pixar film Toy Story. It was released in 1995 and was directed by John Lasseter. And uh, this is a first for us, Todd. I think in all the classic films we've talked about, this is the first one that has had 100% on (laughs) RottenTomatoes.com. There's no curmudgeon. (laughs) That's been the one that says, I'm drawing a line, and this is not on the good side of the line. (laughs) You would have to be a complete... Soulless monster. <laughs> well, I, mean, there, I, know, I know some people who hate this movie. It's weird. <laughs> so, so yeah. let it be written. Uh, this film was nominated for the Academy Awards for Best Score, Best Original Song, and Best Original Screenplay. It didn't win those, but it did win a, a Special Achievement Academy Award. And I believe that. And that is the Academy Award that Joss Whedon has, because uh, we've mentioned Joss Whedon several times on this, and he gave a pass on the script on this. And so everyone who was part of the production got um, one of those special achievement awards. And it also, that year, it swept the Annie Awards, basically. Like, every, I think every category of the Annie Awards went to Toy Story. <laughs> so do we know Do we know when we're talking about uh, Whedon... Uh, I... I... <laughs> I don't know why I did not know this, but I didn't know until today that Whedon was involved in writing this script. Uh, did he really just sort of give a pass on a on an already written script? How heavily was he involved in this? Do we know? It seems uh, so. This movie had kind of a long production history. Pixar before this, um, they made some animated shorts, but solely for the purpose of showing off their computers that they were trying tech, to sell. Tech Steve demos Jobs was a major investor. <laughs> um, and so uh, when Disney talked to them about making a movie. There was a lot of push and pull uh, between Disney and Pixar about who was going to be doing the story, and it was—it seems like it was kind of in the middle of the game that Joss Whedon went in. And uh, this isn't terribly surprising considering his reputation, but he apparently really tried to put in Barbie as a main character, but then rights <laughs> issues with Mattel prevented uh, Barbie from appearing in the first one. They got Barbie into the latter one uh, later, later Toy Stories. Um, but he—he's—he has a screenwriting credit on it. 
he also worked on Lion King. Yeah, before he was what? known <laughs> as the major creator. He, he was, uh, I, I want to say, I, I know he worked on some sitcoms, but I think he was also a script doctor in Hollywood. Like, he, yeah. he'd give passes on scripts that Screen, were... Screenplay credits, yeah. not story credits so yeah. much. Interesting. Who before knew? He, well, he I mean, lots the, of people knew, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I also wanted to just mention that Toy Story, final bit of trivia, it has been inducted into the National Film Registry, which the National Film Registry, its goal is to preserve uh, films that have significance historically or culturally. Wow. It was on, on the first and, year it was eligible, too. Yeah, I think a film has to have been out for 10 years, and so in 2005 it was in on the first pass. Good thing that all of the copies weren't destroyed in the first year. I mean, <laughs> well, the, the first 10 years. The, the reason we have the National Film Registry is because we lost a lot of films <laughs> in the early history of Hollywood. But, uh, yeah, I don't think Disney was going to lose track of, of Toy <laughs> Story. Be, you never know, no, we, have ta- we have talked about uh, terrorists that would go in and, you know, change things and... Have to keep you have to keep uh, those um, original copies. In- industrial <laughs> espionage. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, go, okay. uh, Joseph. We when we do these conversations, we like to go around and just say when was the first time we saw this film or how we came to know about it. So, uh, why don't you go first? Oh, okay. Um, first time. I don't remember the first time because. This movie has been such a big part of my life that when when my earliest memories, some of them are watching Toy Story. <laughs> so um, I have a big, deep connection with this movie. Um, and it was kind of funny. I would watch it so many times on VHS tape that my whole family has the movie memorized, basically word for word. <laughs> that, that was how obsessed I was with this movie. That's awesome. So. Um, Joe, how about you, Joe? I remember, um, so this came out when I was like 13, I think, uh, 95. So yeah, I would have been 13. And I remember reading about it several, like a lot of articles about it in the lead up because it was the first seed, you know, computer animated film. Um, when I was a kid, my parents had subscriptions to USA Today, and I remember always taking the sports section and the purple section, which was their entertainment section. <laughs> the life section. That is exactly what I do <laughs> every time. Every time I'm still when I'm at my dad's house, we'll yeah. be sitting there eating Cheerios, and I will, <laughs> I will sneak the sports section and the weekend section. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, in the lead up to its release, I remember reading quite a bit uh, about it just because there was a lot of interest. Um, I don't, I mean, it's not like I was reading Variety or the trades or anything, but I was aware of it before it was coming out. And so I was curious and I remember seeing, or reading a bunch of reviews and then seeing how well it had done at the box office. It's first week it did very well. And then at that point I was like insistent to my family that we needed to go see it. And I'm pretty sure, I I know I saw it in the theater and I can't remember how much my family came, but so that's when I first saw it. What about you, Tom? I'm quite certain that I didn't see it in the theater just because I saw almost no films in theaters when I was a kid. I may have seen it at the dollar theater. It may have been. Yeah. If I did see it at the theater, it would have been in the dollar, in the dollar theater. I was the same age you were when it came out. Um, my earliest memory of toy story is not actually watching uh, toy story, but watching an episode of Oprah in which she was talking (laughs) with, uh, I think she was talking with John Lasseter and, and they were, they were talking about this film and I was just, 
entranced with the conversation and they showed some clips from it. And I thought that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. And, uh, and just couldn't wait to, to finally see it. And now I don't remember when I finally saw it, but I remember those first images from the film from watching Oprah. So there you go. Do you, you remember, were reading USA um, Today and I was watching Oprah. Yes. In 1995. <laughs> as, as all 13 year olds do. As all 13 year olds do. <laughs> um, I was going to say, do you remember on one of our cross country trips when the whole team was in the bus and it was to California? So we watched a whole bunch of movies and Toy Story was one of the movies we watched and the entire cross country team was just quoting Toy Story for the entire I do remember one of our friends saying, hi, I'm Woody. Howdy, 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 howdy. <laughs> For like years after that. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. All right. All so, right. Uh, Joe, do you want to give us a quick, uh, quick synopsis of this film? Yeah. If you are unfamiliar, toys can come alive. And there is a cowboy toy named Woody, who is a boy named Andy's favorite toy. And then he gets jealous when a new Space Ranger toy called Buzz Lightyear uh, comes into the room. And then hijinks and adventure follow. So that sounds interesting. And you've never seen Toy Story. Uh, we'll have some notes in the show notes about where you can watch this. And it should be available on Netflix uh, when this posts as well. And certainly there are many, many DVD copies floating through. And if you check a trash bin, you might find a VHS copy. Because there were a lot of those VHS copies that were sold back. <laughs> yeah, apparently in the, Hegstrom, in the Hegstrom Pratt household, there is one. It was 95, it, right? So we should be still there. The- the 20 year anniversary, right? Well, it was this, this year. I just want to say right now that this was all planned 20 year anniversary, (laughs) just as it comes out on Netflix. This is, this is why we have a master plan going into scheduling things. This episode wasn't totally delayed several months. No, absolutely not. (laughs) No, we knew that this was going to be the day. All right. Uh, Well, real quick before we have Todd, give us a more in-depth, uh, synopsis, just a reminder that you can support us by link, uh, clicking on the support link at our homepage, protagonistpodcast.com, and uh, also any likes that you give us on your podcasting service, wherever you're getting this downloaded from. We would appreciate any good ratings or comments there. Also Facebook. And likes on Facebook. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to go through and give a, a quick, <laughs> quick-ish Five minutes or less. But in-depth synopsis of this film. Ready? Spaghetti. Go. Our story begins with some very imaginative kids playing with some really great 90s era toys as the Randy Newman song, You've Got a Friend in Me, plays. Uh, Once the kids leave, the toys come to life, and a simple cloth cowboy doll named Sheriff Woody, voiced by Tom Hanks, takes charge. He is clearly the leader of this room full of toys. Woody uses the toy microphone, Mr. Mike, to get everyone's attention for a staff meeting. As the toys gather, we're introduced to a delightful cast of characters, including Mr. Potato Head, Bo Peep, Slinky the Dog, Ham the Piggy Bank, and Rex the Dinosaur. Woody announces that everyone needs a moving buddy for the upcoming move. Uh, He thanks Mr. Spell for his great meeting last week to raise awareness of plastic corrosion. And finally, mumbles something about Andy's birthday party being moved to today. This announcement throws everyone into a panic, but the ever-in-charge Woody offers to send the plastic army troops downstairs for reconnaissance. The army men execute an incredible mission to take a baby monitor downstairs through which they send news back up to the rest of the group uh, group about what gifts Andy is opening. Everyone is relieved as Andy opens a lunchbox, some bedsheets, and after some time, the very last present, a board game. But wait... 
there is one more surprise. What could it be? In all of his excitement, Rex tips the monitor off the nightstand. It crashes down. The batteries fall out. There's no time to get word of what the mysterious new toy could be since the kids are all headed upstairs. Seconds later, the kids barge into the room, and Andy unceremoniously pushes Buddy off the bed to make room for his new toy. Uh, the kids leave once again, and the new toy is left on the bed. It turns out to be a Buzz Lightyear, an amazing plastic Space Ranger superhero who acts as if he space really... Space Ranger. Space Ranger. <laughs> as if he really were. He acts as if he really were a Space Ranger. When Woody shows up, he talks about repairing his spaceship, needing to repair his spaceship, and he tells everyone that he comes in peace. All of the other toys are quite impressed with Buzz's features, including a blinking laser uh, and wings, and Woody clearly is miffed at the attention that he is losing. He tells everyone that Buzz isn't really a space ranger, he's just a toy and can't fly. Buzz then jumps off the bedpost and somehow manages to bounce around the room and land back onto the bed. Everyone convinced, is convinced that Buzz actually can fly, or at least that he is the coolest toy that they have ever seen. Woody <laughs> exclaims that he wasn't flying, that wasn't flying, it was falling with style. Uh, cut to another montage and the song Strange Things as we see Andy replace Woody with Buzz as his new favorite toy and Buzz winning the hearts of all the other toys by allowing them to help him fix his cardboard spaceship, teaching Rex to roar, lifting weights with the other toys, and combing the long pink hair of a troll doll. I love the troll doll. <laughs> Andy has even written his name on Buzz's foot. Buzz and Woody argue more. Uh, Buzz is still convinced that he is a space ranger. Then they look out the window and see the neighbor boy, Sid, who tortures toys, blow up a combat Carl doll. Later, Andy's mom invites him to Pizza Planet, but tells him he can only take one toy. In an attempt to get Buzz left behind, Woody accidentally knocks the space ranger out the window. The other, toy boys, the other toys are horrified at this murder. Murder. But before they can act, Andy comes back to get Buzz to take him to Pizza Planet, but he can't find Buzz, so he grabs Woody instead, saving him for now from the toy mob ready to lynch him. As Andy's mother is... <laughs> How am I doing? It's, 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 it sounds dark. It's, yeah, a lot darker than the but, actual I mean, they, there is the line, string him up by his pull string. <laughs> string him up by his pull string, and then they look over and etch a sketch... Is it etches the the the, the gallows news? Yeah. Okay. So as Andy's mother is pulling out of the driveway with Andy and Woody in the back seat, uh, wait, did I say this? How did I? Oh, with no, Andy. Yes. You're talking I'm about sorry. lynching. Okay, I thought I said. Okay. <laughs> Go back to lynching. Okay, lynch him. As Andy's mother is pulling out of the driveway with Andy and Woody in the back seat, Buzz hops out of the bushes and grabs onto the back bumper as as the minivan drives away. When they stop for gas, Buzz jumps into the car through the sunroof. Woody tries to smooth things over, and Buzz calms Buzz calms his fears by telling him that revenge is not an idea that they promote on my planet. Then he attacks Woody, saying, "But we are not on my planet." While Buzz and, Buzz and Woody are fighting, they fall out of the van, and Andy and his mother drive off without them. Woody is distraught at having become a lost toy. But Buzz remains calm, making careful notes in his mission log. This makes Woody furious, and he screams at Buzz, You are a toy! To which Buzz replies, You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Woody then spots a Pizza Planet delivery truck and convinces Buzz to jump in. Woody gets in the back, but Buzz declines, choosing to sit in the cockpit because there are no restraining harnesses in the cargo area. This turns out to have been a good idea as Woody is pummeled in the back by a bunch of uh, tools and other boxes. 
They arrive in the, at the Pizza Planet, and Woody is ready to jump into Andy's mom's bag, but Buzz climbs into the rocket ship crane game since it has a sign claiming that it is ready for launch. Inside the crane game are a bunch of little green aliens who, like Buzz, don't seem to know that they are toys. They worship the claw, who chooses who will stay and who will go. Unfortunately, tonight the claw is operated by the toy-torturing neighbor Sid, and he grabs Buzz and Woody. He takes them home to play. Woody is convinced they will never come out of the house alive. When they arrive at Sid's home, he, uh, Sid steals his sister's doll and pretends to perform surgery on her by replacing her head with a pterodactyl uh, a pterodactyl head buzz expresses disbelief that sid has ever been to medical school when sid leaves a bunch of creepy cobbled together franken toys uh come out uh, buzz and woody are convinced that they're cannibals buzz changes the setting on his laser from stun to kill but buddy but Wo- but woody uses buzz's karate chop action to get them out uh get them past the scary toys and they escape into the hallway the problem is that sid's scary dog scud is asleep on the stairs. Say that time uh, ten times fast. Sid's scary dog, Scud, is asleep on the stairs, blocking their way, and as they try to sneak by, Woody's pull string snags on the railing. The dog wakes up, chases the toys. They split up and hide in separate rooms. Buzz hides in the TV room, sees a commercial for a Buzz Lightyear toys. This shatters his world, and he snaps. He tries to fly out an open window, but crashes to the floor instead, and his arm breaks off. Woody eventually finds Buzz, uh, who, uh, who, who? Sid's sister Hannah has made to participate in a tea party. It's clear that Buzz has now completely lost his marbles. Woody has uh, tried... um, Woody tries to keep things together and he manages to get Buzz back into Sid's room where there's an open window that looks out into Andy's room. In what must be the most incredible physical feat any toy in film history... Uh, has ever accomplished, Woody throws a string of Christmas lights across the chasm (laughs) between the houses and makes it into the window perfectly. First try. But Andy's other toys refuse to help him since they're still convinced that Woody killed Buzz, a fact only confirmed when they see Woody holding Buzz's severed arm. The Franken toys return and repair Buzz. Woody realizes that they are really good. Uh, Sid comes into the room and straps Buzz to a rocket, but he can't blow him up this evening since a rainstorm uh, comes in. That night, Woody tries to get Buzz to help him out, but Buzz tells him, I am just a stupid little insignificant toy. Woody then tells him, you aren't any toy, you're a Buzz Lightyear, and you're Andy's toy, and you are a cool toy. Uh, that's cool, uh, too cool, in fact, uh, because he's, he's, he's cooler than Woody. Uh, but the pep talk r- arouses Buzz from his stupor, and he helps free Woody from under a crate. Uh, by now it's morning and Sid barges into the room and takes Buzz out of the yard uh, for uh, his lunch. Woody comes up with an idea, and with some great ingenuity and an unfathomable understanding of the blueprint of Andy's house, <laughs> the toys work to- Sid. Sid's house. Oh, Sid's house. Sid's house. The toys work together to get into the yard. Just as Andy is about to light the fuse on Buzz's rocket, uh, Woody speaks to Buzz, and a bunch of zombie toys that, uh, that, that Sid has destroyed come to life in the backyard, and they scare Sid into treating his toys better. Just as they're safe from Sid, Buzz and Woody realize that the moving truck is leaving Andy's house. They try to catch up, but Buzz gets stuck on a fence. He still has the rocket strapped to his back. Woody chooses to stay behind and help his friend. Then they chase after the van. Buzz catches it, but Woody falls behind. Sid's, do- Sid's dog, Scud comes out and grabs Woody, but now Buzz jumps onto the dog, sacrificing himself and saving his friend. Woody is now in the moving van. Uh, Buzz is not. And Woody opens up the toy boxes and finds the remote control car RC, and then he pushes him out the back. The other toys realize that he's with them, but they throw him out of the van thinking that he's tried to kill RC as well. So Buzz and, Buzz and Woody and RC race after the van, but ultimately RC's batteries run out. Thankfully, they're able to use Buzz's helmet as a magnifying glass to light the fuse on the rocket. Propelled by this new force, they make their way back to the still-moving van. See how I just did that there? Still-moving van. Uh. <laughs> 
when they begin to fly because Buzz's uh, wings are are uh, deployed, they drop off RC into the van and the moving van, and then they drop themselves into the minivan through the sunroof into a box next to Andy. Epilogue: It's Christmas and a repeat of the birthday party scene from the beginning. The army sergeant is calling out the new gifts from the Christmas tree. Mr. Potato Head is excited to see that Andy has received a Mrs. Potato Head, and the film ends with Andy receiving a puppy. The end. Wow. That was, it, that was quite the recap, Todd. I want to watch the movie now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You know, you have no need. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so uh, so we're here to talk specifically about Buzz and Woody. Uh, Joseph, you you chose this, so you, we we were talking about uh, having you on for an episode, and I said pick a favorite character uh, in a favorite story. And you came up with Toy Story. So what is it about Buzz and Woody, uh, or Buzz or Woody, that made you choose this film? Oh, well, um, uh, Buzz and Woody have always uh, been near and dear to my heart. I mean, I had a, uh, a toy Woody and a toy Buzz as a kid. I watched the movie all the time. I love uh Joseph, did you ever stop playing with them? Because <laughs> <laughs> in the world of Toy Story, you're now a, you're now a villain. I know, but I don't know where they are anymore. Oh my gosh, they're lost. <laughs> they're lost toys. They're in a box somewhere. Or did your neighbor get them? That neighbor boy. Probably. Um, <laughs> uh so <laughs> so yeah, um, I've just always really had a deep love for this film. I don't think there's any moment in the movie that I dislike. Um, <laughs> I mean, a hundred, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There's got to be some. It's got to be perfect, and it is. It really is just this perfect movie. So, um, Joe, what are your fam- favorite moments uh, for Buzz and Woody? I just like how um, they both have their worlds destroyed, like they're, and then they both react horribly to it at first, and then they get over it, and <laughs> deal with it. Uh, so Woody, you know, his world is that he's Andy's favorite toy, and everyone knows he's Andy's favorite toy. And then Buzz comes along, and he can't handle it. And then Buzz thinks he's really Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. And <laughs> when he finds out he's just a toy, he loses it. But then, because of their friendship. They, they're forming, you know, this weird buddy comedy that they have going on. They, they figure it out. I was amazed that as I was watching the film today, um, so the first time I saw this and the first many, many, many times that I saw this, uh, I used to always see Woody as sort of the bad guy. Cause you know, it's pretty dark when he, when he tries to push, I mean, he tries to push Buzz behind the, behind the desk. (laughs) And then by an accident, Buzz gets knocked out the window. That's pretty dark. And then, can may may I interject here? In in a, uh, it was a lot darker before. Yeah. He in 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 this terrible reel they call the Black Friday reel, which eventually led to the production of the movie being shut down (laughs) for a a series of months. (laughs) While Um, while the Pixar people went and reworked everything. Yeah, because the Disney executives were messing with it. It was terrible. Anyway, Woody is this tyrant just ruling over the other toys, (laughs) and he 
He literally throws Buzz out the window. Wow. There's no accident. It's like literally he he intends to kill. <laughs> there's there's no remorse. That's amazing. Yeah, and in that, because uh, they had Tom Hanks, and I mean, they had the voice cast re- reading their lines for that earlier version, and apparently at one point during the recordings, Tom Hanks stopped and said, this guy's such a jerk, I don't know if I want to be voicing him. I don't want to play this guy anymore. But, so, a- anyway, I didn't I didn't know about that. But even even the toned-down version of this, I just, I never really liked Woody that much. Until until later on when he when he kind of turns good again, but man, watching it this time, I just have loads of respect for Woody. He is brilliant. Like he's he's such a great leader of all of these uh, toys. I mean, he, he, and they uh, not because he's a tyrant, just because I think that he's really smart and he's able to. I mean, he's a great organizer. And when they escape from Sid's room, that's an incredible plan. And I just, uh, I just gained, I, I walked out of this with a lot more respect for Woody than I had before. So that's, that's what I wanted to say to start off. Uh, there's, there's one point, and I can only imagine there's probably 50,000 pages on the internet that address this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it stuck out to me more so this time. So they're toys, but they stop being toy, or, or you know, they come alive when there's no humans around, but, but whenever the humans go around, they just become toys, right? Yes. Except we find out they can break that rule when they want to at the very end when the, the scary Franken toys all freak out Sid. Yes. Like, so when Buzz doesn't think he's a toy, why does he drop down whenever Andy comes around? Ah, interesting. I probably should have looked into what, again, Ignore I'm sure that. are thousands Ignore of that. fan theories <laughs> on perfect online film. to explain this. Perfect film. Ignore that. <laughs> can, I say, can I say my one flaw that I saw in this one? Sure. Why does Bo Peep's lipstick come off on Woody's face? <laughs> oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> she's, like, she's like porcelain. <laughs> I know, she's a porcelain thing. It's painted on. Well, and then also, okay, one other None of these. Well, I mean, <laughs> poor Joseph is like my, you're tearing my favorite film apart. <laughs> it's just uh, I I don't know. Maybe We're it's because RC needs batteries. But RC love. runs out of batteries. Out of but all the toys yeah. that don't need batteries come alive when the humans aren't around. So why does RC need batteries? Well, RC is still alive. He just, just can't, can't go. He, okay. he can't uh, run as the car. I'll take that. I'll take that. I so think never he mind. could. Never He's mind. There's sleepy. only two flaws in the film. Uh, He's just sleepy. Maybe, He's just sleepy. To to get things maybe a little more back on track, I I like what Joseph was saying, and I, or sorry, Joe, I call my brother Joseph. Oh, that's well, just for today on this podcast because for some reason we we can't get a male guest who doesn't share a name, <laughs> either Todd or Joseph or Dorowski. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, as uh, Joe was saying, where Woody and Buzz kind of have their worlds crash down and they and they have to build back up. I was thinking about it, and they each, like, inadvertently and intentionally uh, tear each other down for maybe two-thirds of the film, and then they spend the last third building each other up and using that momentum as each one starts giving up hope, then the other one, you know, latches on and gives a little more hope, and then they switch places, like, three or four times in the in the third act when they're getting away from Sid. Yeah, I love the, the, the way that they take turns sacrificing themselves for each other. It's this... It's it's almost a great mirror of the Casablanca. Remember when we talked about Casablanca 
and we were saying how they're like, no, I will do the honorable thing and let you have my yeah. woman. And then he says, no, 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 I will do the honorable thing and let you have my woman. And like, uh, there's, it, there's kind of something in that almost like, anyway, just taking turns, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice until they can finally both uh, get together. Unfortunately, in Casablanca, they can't both have Ilsa. But, uh, Unfortunately, that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> but in Toy Story, they can both be with Andy. They can both be with Andy. <laughs> what other moments do you do you guys like in this film? Uh, I think it's I'm, I I think we'll circle back around and talk a little bit more about Buzz and and Woody. But uh, the side toys need uh, tip of the hat oh, <laughs> to the, the voice acting, especially oh, that's going on with definitely. those side toys. Excellent, excellent. Voice the acting. way that they're the way that they are introduced. In it's pretty amazing storytelling when in you know three seconds in you know one tiny piece of action and maybe one line from each of these characters and we know exactly who they are and what they want and and we we kind of get them right and I think that's I mean that's what good storytelling does is you understand what each character wants in a scene and I mean these you know, the B level toys, I guess you know, that, are, that are in the B story. They're, they're not having massive character arc arcs. They're not going to change, but you understand each of them. Like, like you said, almost instantaneously, <laughs> but they, they don't seem shallow either. Yeah. No, when Rex, thing. when Rex, uh, you know, tries to scare Woody and it's, it's just like such a perfect introduction to him as a character. And, and not, nothing, there's nothing, how do I say this? There's nothing in that first scene that we don't see from him over and over and over again. And there's nothing that we see from him through the rest of three films uh, that we don't see in that first introduction to him. It's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, and just the uh, the voice casting of all these, I mean, most of those are kind of, um, you know, characters that you recognize uh, or actors that you recognize their voices or, you know, from, from small roles and other things or, or being a side character on Cheers or in you know, Princess Bride. <laughs> I was just going to say um, Cheers. Miss- <laughs> Where everybody knows your name. <laughs> uh, but somehow they they really, um, they just capture those toys. And now, like, because of Toy Story, you know, I think every Mr. Potato Head sounds like Don Rickles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh I I love it when when uh, Buzz is in, when we are introduced to Buzz he's just so per, like perfectly in character and the the movements the animation is is like mind-blowingly good and the way that they capture emotion and his movements he is such a cool toy and if only they could actually make a Buzz Lightyear that could do all the things that he does. <laughs> It'd be like $200, but I would buy it. You what and many, I- many, many other nerds. I mean, just mentioning the, the voice acting again, uh, I think Tom Hanks and Tim Allen both do really fabulous work uh, with these roles. Yeah. And uh, Tim Allen, I mean, I don't, I never watched a whole lot of Home Improvement. And I saw the Santa Claus. <laughs> I actually have, like, I'm kind of aware of Tim Allen, but I, I haven't actually seen him in a whole lot of things. But something about him being <laughs> this kind of authoritative doofus is just so delightful. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that I love about, and, and this is sort of what I was talking about before about Buzz and Woody, is that they're both so, in their own way, they're both so capable. I mean, they can be sort of silly at times, but they really are 
like amazing and capable and and they are in charge of their world regardless of of the way that they see it right and it's cool that they're able to balance that I think they're both really self-assured and sometimes it's played for comedy and sometimes it's played to, you know, show them getting through the action beats that they need to get through. Um, and so Woody's, you know, self-assurance comes, especially in that early scene where he's the leader, he's telling every toy. And even though some of the toys are kind of giving him guff, you can tell he's the one in charge. Uh, and then, you know, Buzz Lightyear is just, as I, as I said, kind of like this, this authoritative doofiness of of uh <laughs> believing that he is you know the ultimate space ranger on an alien planet now uh it's it's delightful to watch but that self-assurity kind of drives his character um and until both of these characters again i mean the main plot is both these characters are losing that uh at, at different points and then as as our presenter was saying building each other up and saying no really you're you're good at what you do all right joseph do you have any uh favorite beats in the film Oh, the whole movie. But um, <laughs> uh, favorite favorite things. Well, I think uh, that's really hard. I really um, really like their 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 little quarrel, their fight, their their fight scene um, where they they uh, at the gas station at the gas station, and then they you are not you are a toy. And, um, uh, that, and just then how they can go from hating each other to just being like these close companions who have to escape from this terrible situation. And it just, the, the, it feels perfect. Like there's no, nothing forced in that relationship. So um, I'd like to talk about this this change that happens. I mean, it, part of it, <laughs> I think, I think it can be sort of tricky to talk about a film that we all just so like unashamedly love, <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's really hard to find things to sort of nitpick about this. Um, and and then when we we want we want to talk about what's great about it, then we say, well. It's amazing. <laughs> it's it's the movie. The movie is know? great. The characters are great. The the writing is fantastic. The animation is mind blowing. It's all so wonderful. M- music. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about this this arc and what is it what is it that makes this story uh, so compelling to us? Because there's lots of stories about people who. Uh, you know, they start and they're, and they're angry and then they don't like each other and then something happens and then bam, they're friends. This is the, this is that great line from, uh, the three amigos, which is another film that we should probably do on this podcast. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's, a, it's so classic as to have almost become cliche or have become cliche. Uh, but why doesn't this film feel cliche if the story and the arc is so, um, it follows a pattern so closely that we all know. One way that makes it new is obviously like the the arc is the story isn't new like it's been done before but I think there's kind of this charm about toys coming alive we always we always imagine like when I was a kid I mean I thought man all my stuffed animals are gonna come alive and I gotta treat them well because. In Toy Story, they get Andy ignores Woody, you know, after Buzz. So I gotta treat them all equally. That's a 
tangent. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I think that just the, the, the setting, the way that it's different can make it compelling and it's something we can all relate to like everyone has toys right when they're kids so that was my thought on that what do you think joe what is it that makes this story work so well when it follows a pattern that i mean we've go ahead I was going to say, we've talked about the hero's journey and other patterns that, I mean, most great stories, you can find building blocks of those stories in previous works. Um, and it's really hard to do completely original. Yes, we can mash up things in ways um, that maybe blend elements of stories that we haven't seen before, but still you could take it apart and say, well, this element came from here and that one came from there. And when stories aren't told well, and we do that, we say, "Well, this is just a ripoff." Uh, but when they're <laughs> when they're done well, we forgive it and we enjoy it, and we just kind of uh, we sit back and say that that was a really well told story. Um, and I think it was Roger Ebert, a film critic. He said it doesn't matter what kind of story you're telling, so long as it's told well. And I think he was he was talking about like genre issues and, and right. debates about you know uh, popcorn flicks versus you know art house flicks. And he said. He was saying it doesn't matter what you're telling, so long as you tell the story well, it's it's good, right? Um, and, and as we've said, like you know, through whatever troubled production history this had, which apparently it had a very troubled <laughs> production, very history, very troubled. Uh, the final um, thing that came out of it is, um, I think that that alchemy of writing and voice acting and the animation all coming together to, to give us this kind of, um, uh, you know, a perfect story insofar as, uh, yeah, there's some nits we can pick, but it's, you know, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and we all seem to really enjoy it. And it's something about that mix uh, through all that turmoil in the end came this blend of, of everything firing on the right cylinder. And so, yeah, we, we can look back and say, this is a lot like, a lot of previous films that have forced seemingly opposite people to go on some quest together uh, when they don't really want to be around each other. And through that journey, they find friendship. Um, You know, that's not unique, but something about all of this works to make it feel special. Even if we can find the building blocks in previous, previously told stories. I have three thoughts. The first thought is, as you've been, as you've been talking, I've been, as you've been talking, I've been staring at the word toy. And if you look at that word for too long, then you you it's easy to convince yourself that it is spelled incorrectly. <laughs> I think that's true of any word. Well, look at the word toy for a while, and it, it will really mess with your mind. Um, so I'm kind of having a trip right now. <laughs> because of that. My second thought is, um, it seems like one thing that we're saying is uh, that one way to make um, the one, one thing that makes this unique is that it really captures some piece of our imagination that, that most of us had as children, which is playing with toys. And because that, I don't know, it seems like there's something because that's so tied to childhood and so tied to the active, this active part of our imagination that that maybe has been dormant for some of us who are adults <laughs> or came to this maybe even just a little bit older. By, by the time Toy Story came out, I was not playing with toys um, 
I was, you know, in junior high and trying to grow up and kind of for look, shame putting on this facade of adulthood. <laughs> yeah, well, junior high was junior high was tough for me, and um, I was not extremely comfortable with myself <laughs> in junior high. I'm sure I'm who, the only person who is. <laughs> I know. But uh, but anyway, it wasn't a time when I was when my when I was letting my imagination soar, and I think that one thing. Uh, that really that I loved about Toy Story and continue to love about Toy Story is that it takes me back to that time when I was younger and my imagination was active and I could still sort of hear the the bell the Polar Express bell ring uh, and I think that that's so I don't think that it's a tangent Joseph when you say that there's something about about a story about toys um, that that activates our imagination in a really cool way the other thing that I think is important coming out of this discussion is that there are maybe two ways to make a story really, really great. And one is to take a pattern and change it in, in interesting ways. And the other is to just take a pattern and just like nail it. So like the reason that that star Wars, for example, is such a great film is because it follows the hero's journey so well and so closely that it just, I think it speaks to us on a really, on a really deep level. Uh, the thing that makes, um, I don't know, a noir film like The Big Sleep or um, Double Indemnity or The Maltese Falcon so great is that it takes the hero's journey and then it flips it on on its head and it says, you think that every hero will return from his journey, but but sometimes the hero just dies. (laughs) It's sad. (laughs) And uh, and there's something cool and exciting about about breaking the pattern. Uh, I don't see the I don't see Toy Story breaking the pattern in any significant ways. I think that one of the reasons that it achieves greatness is because it follows the pattern so well. It just does it does it well. Right, but if it didn't have you know, like we said, like the great voice acting and the animation that's really um, you know, excellent even 20 years on, it still looks good. Uh, we might look at it and say, yeah, it's just kind of derivative of these other things. But because it has all those, like you said, it nails it, it sticks to the landing, and we say, oh, what a great film. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It sticks to the landing. Like, it does something... Yeah, I mean, like, maybe the degree of difficulty on, on Toy Story, as far as a story is concerned, I think the degree of difficulty in this is not in the storytelling, but in the... just the execution of being a full-length, completely computer-generated film and trying to put emotion and personality into into these toys i think that that's where the the difficulty comes in not necessarily in telling the the story um but it's just it like yeah they nail the landing which is so interesting because we said the, the storytelling is where a lot of the trouble the back and forth and push and pull between pixar and disney was disney uh, it seems like disney was pushing them to almost Go in a direction more like into the Shrek films, where there's they wanted a, to a make lot more of the adults uh, references. Really, yeah, they wanted to make it really edgy, <laughs> and, which was not good. <laughs> yeah, and I think Pixar kind of pulled it back both from the edginess and also into, in some ways, a more conventional storytelling uh, model, but something that uh, w- with the tone that they they were hoping to strike, the Pixar people, um, rather than what was being pushed by Katzenberg at Disney, uh, having that more conventional model fit, I think, better than the previous direction they were heading. That is so interesting that it would be the Disney people trying to push the envelope and the Pixar people kind of pulling it back because Disney stories in general, I mean, the, the, the great Disney animated films are all really formulaic. I mean, they're really good, 
but they're really mm-hmm. formulaic and they follow kind of hero's journey um to the letter almost right but they the it was also kind of an opportunity because it's it was like oh we have this other studio that we don't really need to put our name on right so that's really it's just really interesting that they would be pulling in those in those directions it was uh Katzenberg is the one who uh, is Jeffrey Jeffrey Katzenberg. He is like the villain of this movie behind the production. Uh, behind the scenes stories. Um I mean he's he's had a phenomenally successful Hollywood career. <laughs> so I don't think we can shake our fist at him. But I, I, there's a quote attributed to him that says everyone says I'm a tyrant and I am, but it's because I'm usually right. <laughs> oh snap. I don't know. I've I've read that attributed to him and, and or something along those lines in a couple of places. Uh and so it seems like he was the one that was really pushing for uh this computer animated film to be taking or, or or to be testing a different direction than what Disney was already doing during the Disney Renaissance with their um with their traditionally animated ones. Uh I, I think he was just trying to open up a new kind of market. Hmm. Which isn't bad, but I don't think if, let's be honest, we don't really ever think of, we always take Toy Story for granted, but what if Toy Story was that, oh, that film that took too many risks and was way too edgy and weird and wasn't successful at all? I mean, you Disney know. has those films in its history. Pinocchio <laughs> was, <laughs> right. was a flop, uh, and it was it was trying to be edgy and weird and different than anything that they'd done before. So I don't think that's entirely out of, um, the, you know, the character of the Disney Corporation. Right. Uh, but it does again. This is you know reading behind the scenes notes. You always got to question. Well, who's telling this story? But it does seem kind of universally from what I've I've read. A lot of the tension came from Katzenberg's notes specifically. I think it's a cool um, opportunity to think about creativity, and um, I, I think uh, I read a lot about creativity, and I find that some people want to sort of prescribe creativity, like this is the way that you are that you can be creative. Um, and we've seen like the Miyazaki film that we did, Spirited Away, which is really Great just film. comes out of one human being's brain and he says this is my vision for this thing and then a bunch of people get together and make it happen um versus something like toy story or casablanca is another film that we talked about that had a really troubled production <laughs> and people going back and forth and um and a bunch of different voices and nobody's probably 100 percent content with with what has happened but somehow through all that like hammering out of things we come up with something that's really remarkable. Um, and so it seems like, you know, there, there's more than one way to, uh, to get there. I was just going to yeah. say, um, while referencing Katzenberg, I, I knew he was one of the founders of DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, uh, cause it was DreamWorks SKG and I always remember that, but I went to do- go double check the year it was founded. It was founded in 1994. So, right before this came out, but probably after some of those behind the scenes production battles were going on. So maybe he was frustrated that, uh, and and I don't know this, but it sounds like maybe he was frustrated that 
Pixar was going in a different direction than his notes, and he actually kind of, you know, took his ball and went home and started his own production <laughs> studio. <laughs> took his ball and went home. Uh, I'm and, not playing with you guys anymore. I'm going to go find I'm going to found another Hollywood production studio, <laughs> as, you know, you can do when you get in a huff. As one does. <laughs> so, I, have a, I have a question I kind of want to pose to you three, uh, maybe to drive a little discussion back to the, the characters. You talked about the kind of B-list characters in Toy Story having their identity defined instantly. And I don't know if that works so well for Woody and Buzz because they do have a series of attitudes and, and an arc to them. So what are some of the stages they go through and what are some of the actions and, and things they say that define their transition from what they are at the beginning to what they are at the end? I like this question. It's a hard question, but good. All right, so well, let's start with where, where are they at at the beginning? So Woody is the self-assured leader of the toys, and he's you know the kingpin both because he seems competent at doing that and you know ensuring that all the toys get taken care of, but he's also Andy's favorite toy. So what's what's like a definitive moment or line or action for him that that dictates this? this identity for him. Hey, well, I, for me, it's when he, you know, he's the one that leads this toy meeting, right? He's the, yeah. we see him up in front, uh, and he does a good job of kind of taking care of every toy, complimenting those who have been doing something for them, making sure everyone's taken care of. So we, we see him as being this one, uh, this leader. And then also the way he gets talked about by the other toys, they mentioned several times, like, well, he's, he's Andy's favorite, you know, that kind of comes up. Uh, like when I think it's Rex is panicking about the birthday party toys that are coming in and Woody says, you don't have to worry. And everybody, uh, someone else says, well, of course you don't have to worry. Woody. <laughs> it's yeah. Mr. Potato. Uh, there it is. I love his yeah. snark. <laughs> he really, he really goads Woody like pretty hard through these, these first scenes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's important to note that Woody at the beginning of this film is both the, like the the capable like nuts and bolts leader of this group he he is totally competent at his job and um i think we see it like you said in the meeting when he's thanking everybody but also when um when all the kids come and everybody's freaking out because all these kids are coming with these big toys and they're all afraid that they're going to be re- replaced by some other toy and then um and then woody is the one that calms them all down he gets the soldiers out and and is able to again sort of restore order and calm. Uh, so he's 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 one hundred percent competent, but he is also the symbolic leader um, and respected in part just because he is Andy's favorite toy. So it's both of those things. It's not just because he's really good at what he does, and it's not just because he's the favorite toy. It's that combination of both of those that makes him a really powerful leader. I think. I do want to point out, as we're talking about what his arc is going to be and his his panic that comes when Buzz Lightyear, it is just brilliant. And this isn't the way it was originally, but it's brilliant to have the cowboy replaced by the space ranger. Yes. Uh, in terms of, like, popular culture history. Westerns to sci-fi. Yeah, Westerns to sci-fi in the 50s. Um, there's just some really, really clever storytelling that happens there. And I don't think they knew it, but it lays a lot of the seeds for what comes in the story, toy story too. Well, and even there's a reference in this one to Al's toy barn, which again, I don't, I, I doubt that was known that they were laying a seed, (laughs) but it's something that comes up in toy story too, in much greater detail. This film like refreshingly came, it seems to me came before the time when 
everybody said, we won't make one movie. We'll make three movies. Right. <laughs> and like this movie will just be a, tra- a trailer and a long introduction to the second film. This, this film stood on its own. And I, when Toy Story 2 came out, I know that I was like surprised and really pleasantly surprised. But there was no feeling in my mind when Toy Story ended that like, oh, I can't wait until part two comes out. And, right. Yeah. Well, and getting one more behind the scenes note, if I recall correctly, <laughs> uh, Disney, the way the contract was structured, had the rights to the characters and the rights to make any future films. And this is before uh, Pixar became its own entity within the Disney Corporation. And, and Disney, Disney went, just when they were Disney. having some contract issues. Disney started work on a Toy Story two, and then when Pixar got bought in uh, to the Disney empire, but also with a certain level of autonomy, they completely scrapped everything Disney had been doing on their own <laughs> for Toy Story 2. Disney's, and like angrily, <laughs> angrily Disney took Disney is just being made out to be this evil entity <laughs> in this. I know. <laughs> Disney, uh, Disney's given us a lot of great stuff, but yes, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility and, and you know, all right, uh, but power, uh, let's, I guess, finish up Woody's arc. So where does Woody end? Uh, so we know he, he kind of has his panic attack when Buzz comes in, and he becomes... What's what's the quintessential, his kind of low point envying Buzz? Well, it's when he throws him out well, the window. Throws him out the window, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that would be his nadir. <laughs> um, <laughs> his moment of greatest shame in his life. <laughs> and Buzz doesn't come until long, far later. Yeah, it's yeah. in. Uh, it's when he sees a commercial, right? Right. I I think we're able to see one of, and this is again like I I come out of this really liking Woody because Woody is able to use Buzz's worldview. First of all, he, I mean, he tries to use it against him and succeeds, and then feels bad about it, and but then is able to kind of get things turned around and use what he has, which is this crazy toy that thinks it's a space ranger to get back to Andy. And I just think it, I'm just constantly impressed with Woody's ingenuity throughout and the way that he's able to get Buzz to come along with things by telling him, you know, feeding him these little (laughs) stories. I I will say, I think it's incredibly important for Woody's character that it was an accident that Buzz went out the window. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That that would change the whole movie. I'm trying to remember. (laughs) There was a Ben Stiller movie. It was uh, Meet the Parents. I remember being so frustrated with it because he kept doing these bad things in the house. Like, yes, they were accidental, but then he'd lie and try and cover them up. And they had set up ways for these things to happen and just be complete accidents. But really, he kept causing them. Uh, and, and so I was frustrated cause I, you lose all sympathy for him as right. a character because he's doing these things and sometimes because he's trying to cover something else up, he causes a bigger problem and a bigger disaster and it snowballs on him, but it's, it's really all his fault. Whereas Buzz falling out the window, yes, it's Woody's fault, but not like to the malicious level that going out the window instead of behind the desk. Is. He had no, he had absolutely no intention of pushing Buzz out the window. He wanted him to fall behind the desk and he would have been found, but he wouldn't, but then Woody would have gone to, to to the pizza planet. And Woody is legitimately like panicked about Buzz going out the window yes. instead of behind the desk. <laughs> it's not like he says, well, that's even better than what I had planned. Uh, and, and then, so, so then what is, because Woody struggles with his own feelings of self-worth throughout this until the, until the scene in the night with the rainstorm 
when when he's telling I mean, he's working so hard to just try to get Buzz to come along and like, let's get in the car and then let's get to the pizza planet and let's get out of Sid's house. And, um, but so what is like, what is Woody's, where is Woody's big turning point in his own feelings of self-worth? Cause, cause he's really struggling with the fact that he has been replaced as Andy's favorite toy. And it's clear that he has been replaced as Andy's favorite toy. Andy changes his bed sheets, and uh, Woody is now sleeping in the in the toy box with all the other toys. I think something significant happens in Woody when he sees the Franken toys repair each other and repair Buzz. Yeah, yeah, I like that. When is when is it that that happens? Because because I'm thinking about the part when. Uh, it's nighttime and and Buzz is still depressed yeah, because right. he's found he's, out that he's a toy and he's missing an arm still, right? At that point, no, he's not. No, he's he's not. His arm right. has been restored. That, so okay, he, his arm was back. Yeah, and uh, and he says he says you are a cool toy, and then pause, and then he says too cool, and then he's he's really sad, and then and then Buzz comes along and and, and that's is, Buzz's transition. All right, yeah, just real quick. I'm having now flashes of Toy Story 2, and I'm realizing how much of this mirror is mirrored in Toy Story 2, of Woody losing, losing the use of his arm and actually oh placing gosh. his value in being a... I never, I never I put the arms together. That. And being <laughs> his value being that he was a popular toy, and the you know that's what Buzz Lightyear is the popular. Okay, never mind. I'm sorry, but I think Toy Story Two has a lot of interesting things now. This isn't. A, this is a. This is a future podcast, and we'll, mind mind blown. Mind blown. So, what do you think, Joseph? What do you think about this this transition? That moment where you have sort of sad Woody. Or like Peppy Woody, it's it's just really interesting. I don't know it's storytelling. You have Sad Woody, Peppy Woody trying to trying to boost the spirits of Sad Buzz, and then as soon as that happens, then we have Sad Woody, and then and then Happy Woody trying or Happy Buzz. I'm so, I'm sorry, this is so confusing. <laughs> all, right, all right, let's start this over, Todd, because <laughs> I've lost the thread. <laughs> okay, Woody so- is trapped in the uh, under the crate. Yes, there's a crate with a toolbox. Buzz is, has has a rocket on him. Buzz has a rocket on him, and and he but he's free, except that he has a rocket strapped to him, and he's depressed, like he's catatonic practically. Um, and so Woody, in this same character that he has been now for maybe two thirds of the film, uh, is saying, "Hey, come on, Buzz, you're a space ranger. You can do this." And then he says, no, I'm not a space ranger. In this very Don Quixote, end of Don Quixote moment where he says, I am not a space ranger. I am a toy. Uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a small, insignificant toy. Um, and, and then Woody's like continuing in the same mode that he has been in. No, you are a great toy. You're Andy's toy. And he, we need to get back there and be with him. And you are a cool toy. Look at what you can do. And then... And then this well, I like also, switch. I also think. Go ahead. I also think that part is when he's when he's saying that he's a cool toy. He's also admitting to himself that yes, and it, he can see why Andy really loves this toy, and he's like he's been in denial this whole time about this, and like oh, I don't want, I don't like Buzz, but now that he, he's seeing this. Yeah, I think that's it. I I I think that you're you're spot on. There's something in his 
efforts to convince Buzz that he's a great toy so that he can get him out of the crate, um, there's this moment of self-realization that, man, I really – like this is this is really happening. I am not nearly as cool as Buzz is, and I probably will never be Andy's favorite, favorite toy ever again. And it's and it's really sad, but it, but it happens to be timed just perfectly with Buzz coming to realize that hey, it's pretty cool to be a, a cool toy. Yeah. So where does Woody end after this? So this is kind of his low point. I, it was his no his low points are his jealousy pushing him, uh, pushing Buzz out the window, and that going horribly wrong for him. But then also this moment of realization uh, as to. Why Buzz is kind of a cooler toy? <laughs> that's that's him accepting. Yeah, accepting it. But so where does he end though? After this, like where? What is Woody's character at the end of the film? I think that's a really good question. I think the, the, for me, the most important question is where is like where is Woody at in that moment right after that? As soon as as soon as Buzz rescues him, now where like where is Woody's head at that point? I'm gonna pose a suggestion, Woody gets his his head back in the game and he gets the other toys organized and he does what he does best at the beginning of the film and i think he realizes that he can do good as a leader of toys even without being the favorite toy i like that and so yeah, he takes don't. one half of what he had at the beginning and says that's plenty and the important yeah. lesson is that his self-worth is not dictated by someone else Thank you. And this is and, his self worth is not dictated by Andy loving him. His self worth is dictated by him being the best toy leader he can be. Yeah, and leading all of those toys. I mean, that is really. Uh, I'm just amazed at his organizational skills and his, <laughs> and, and, his, his knowledge, and his knowledge. His epic. This epic, yeah, this epic escape. He must have known about Sid's house before somehow. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty no, amazing the, that legs that legs and Ducky can go like <laughs> through the vents, through the vents, the all the way around. The... Here's the light bulb. You'll pull it out. You'll go down. You don't worry. Don't worry, Ducky. Your string's long enough, or <laughs> legs of string is long enough. It'll be perfectly long enough for her, you to swing, 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 and fall all the way to the ground. And then catch, just the frog. Frog. catch the frog. Catch the frog. Catch the frog. Yes, catch the frog, <laughs> and then we'll pull up. It's just—it's absolutely stunning uh, how great he is as as a leader, um, and it's cool that he can kind of hang his hat on that. And the other thing, how does his hat stay on through the whole entire final <laughs> RC car thing? What? It's really it's important glued. that it does because that's part of a plot point in the second Toy Story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so. so what what are Buzz's uh, you know major points? We kind of came up with four for Woody. So what what points does Buzz hit? And so like, what's his definition at the beginning? <laughs> this he's definitely the uh, the 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 outsider. Doesn't really know. He doesn't know the rules, but and he he's unaware that he is a toy. But he also is is the cool new toy so he's able to rally all these other toys together to fix his cardboard box of a ship <laughs> well he's the cool new kid that moved in and is milking it <laughs> yeah, yeah right but he he's still deluded into thinking it, that he's not a toy he thinks they love me because i'm a space ranger and being one a of space the things, ranger is cool one of the things that i love about buzz is his just earnest like authenticity 
I mean, he's, he's always, so, you don't ever get duplicity in him. Like we see in Woody, you know, when he, when he's like, Hey, Buzz, <laughs> I can't imagine Buzz doing, pulling a move like that, whether he, whether he knows that he's a toy or not, he, he always is, um, just so, I mean, he has such integrity <laughs> if that's the right word, but, um, I mean, he is Don Quixote, right? He, he, he sees the world through this, this different lens, um, and he's chasing windmills, but he's also really, I mean, he's really kind to the people around him. He does teach Rex to roar and he does comb trolls hair and he gets everybody <laughs> lifting weights and he, they're all helping him to do, to fix his spaceship. And it's a different kind of leadership, it seems than Woody's does, but it, but it also works. And so we have the, um, as we kind of said, the deluded Buzz Lightyear and, his low point comes when he sees a TV commercial that makes him realize he really is just just the toy that Woody's been yelling at him. So he's mm-hmm. been it's interesting because he's been told this truth over and over and over again, <laughs> <laughs> and he won't accept it until some other evidence comes to him. So he's you think he stays totally kind of on his level until the moment he sees the commercial, and then there's the sad song, and he jumps off the banister. That that song, might I just say, I. M- there has not been any other sequence in film where my mom and I have not have cried as much as in that scene. <laughs> that scene I, I could makes fly me if I wanted to. Makes me so sad. I will sail no more. I, well, I, I'm just going to go ahead and put out there. Toy Story 2 has its own sad song by <laughs> the inimitable that never, Sarah McLaughlin. That one never got that me one, as the, much. the mask or, that uh, one yes. is tough for me, but <laughs> another podcast. So uh, to answer your I mean, question, well, Andrew, Andrew, I think that he. Well, yeah, I, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Where uh, there seems to be a change in Buzz at the at the gas station, where he feel he's he views Woody as an enemy now, right? But it, but it's not a fundamental change in his. I think it's a. He's, how do I say this? He's not. He's not when he he sees Woody as as an enemy in that moment. But he's he's he realizes after that, and it's some moral code that once once Woody says, "Hey, I see a spaceship," then he's like, "Oh, I can we can I can work with this guy." Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that there's any fundamental change in his character. I think there is a change in his behavior based on uh his seeing Woody as a threat. Right. Uh but his character state and motivation I think are constant throughout until he sees the TV commercial, then he's depressed. And then there's something in Woody's pep talk to him about you are a cool toy and, and, and Andy and Andy plays such a key role in motivation at, from that point on for both of them. Now it's no longer about being the favorite toy or, um, or getting back to, to the galactic, whatever, uh, space, the galactic alliance, the galactic alliance. Thank yeah. you to fight against that- the emperor Zerg. Evil Emperor Zerg. Yeah, it, but they they realize that. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's about them, kind of being of service to Andy. Yes, that you are a the, toy, they, and when you're a toy, your job is to be there for your for your human. So, so whereas before, Woody's um, kind of self worth was in being favored by you know being Andy's favorite toy, and Buzz's uh, sense of identity was all about you know, getting back to his mission to stop the evil Emperor Zerg. Now 
their like their roles are about bringing joy to someone else. Yeah, I like that. Well, and it's also a reoccurring theme throughout the throughout the later films where we should be there. We should be there for Andy, even if he doesn't want us in that moment. But we'll be there for him when he needs us. So, Joseph, you're buzzing Woody. They're there for you still, <laughs> even if they're long forgotten in a box somewhere. In the Toy Story universe, you're not going to let this go. The greatest <laughs> sin is, is not playing with your toys, no matter what age you are. Hey, I've got toys up on this shelf. I'm looking at them right now. But not buzzing Woody. My- my rocket raccoon uh, stuffed animal. Oh right, man! Well. Imagine rocket raccoon in that class in that in that toy room with, <laughs> with deluded as Buzz. <laughs> that would be awesome. So I, 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 I want to pose one last question, and I think it's about time to wrap up. Whose change is more significant? Hmm. I would I would vote for Woody on that. I think that. Buzz, while his change does change his motivation, I think Woody does the most growing up of the two. <laughs> Buzz's change is accepting an obvious truth to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for him, it's an entire worldview. Oh, right. right. Yeah. It, I mean, I think even as a child, you kind of feel like, well, duh, Buzz. <laughs> uh, where, and so... I guess because it's so obvious to everyone, that feels like a less significant change, whereas Woody's feels like an actual maturation. So even though I think when you hold them up and you you say, well, this is the one change and this is the other, the complete shifting of Buzz's world view is a greater alteration. So, but you're saying, so um, accepting reality is less significant than (laughs) changing your own place in reality. Uh, maybe it, it, I think uh, maybe that, maybe that's what it, I'm saying. I'm not sure. I think I I think that I I know where we're headed with this. I think Woody's change is is complex and he goes through these kind of subtle changes throughout that make it really really interesting. Um, and it's very internal. Yeah. Whereas uh, Buzz's is sort of more external. Buzz's is I mean when Buzz changes, it is such a dramatic change that he is like catatonic for <laughs> you know tim allen was just riffing in the booth with he some was, of the lines that he does he was having the tea so party. much the fun. tea party and mrs nesbitt and he's completely like he's lost his arm he he's throws him he sticker. throws himself off the yeah he's pulling the sticker off and crumpling it up i mean that so <laughs> i don't know that there's a, any way to measure this seems like uh, the beginning of Dead Poets Society when they're trying to measure poetry, and he says, "We're not laying pipe. <laughs> this is poetry." You know, like there's no way to measure the 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 magnitude of someone's change. Um, right. They're both really significant, but they're all they're both really different. In that, um, you know, Woody is this kind of subtle, fluid thing that happens throughout, and in the end, it's a small change, but a really significant change where. He, he, his focus changes from being Andy's favorite toy to just being a loyal toy and then using his great leadership skills to make the, the, the toy room great. Uh, Buzz just gets a, a bomb dropped on him <laughs> <laughs> and he has to handle it. And I think that he does like he, he ends up handling it with grace and, and it's awesome in the end when they're flying. The part that always gets me choked up is not the sad song when he throws himself off the balcony, but when they're flying and, and he says, 
Buzz, Not? you're flying. And he says, this isn't flying. Fly? This is falling with falling. style. And I'm just like, oh, you know, just wipe that a little, me little tear. It's so beautiful that, those, that he's able to accept two that. moments. That's fantastic. So, Joseph, every time we have a guest on, we have one final question. And this is the final question. Oh, no. Uh, imagine that you're at a dinner party. You can invite right. three guests from the fictional world. Who would you invite to dinner with you? Oh, I, I you know we've said three to five in the yeah, past. Three to, three to five. But, but I also think in our year-end wrap-up, Andrew could go and cut out the sound that every guest has made when we pitched this question <laughs> of them having that initial reaction. Of, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> so so I think no, every, everyone made a sound great. similar to that. We should keep that in there. Oh, yes. I think I, I think I tend to, but I don't yeah. remember for sure. Okay, so you got three nice to five, one. three to five characters. You can invite them three to dinner. Three to five. Oh god. Okay. I think, as I'm looking at my shelves of of manga and novels and comic books, do you need me to tell you who I know is not on your shelf? Who? But Don Quixote. Buzz and Woody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, driving that knife in a little deeper <laughs> oh man okay oh you just won't let that go will you alright it's gotta be Ender from Ender's Game he's important you gotta have him um Howl from Howl's Movie Castle oh, that's a good pick he's amazing Let's look at my manga over here. Gotta gotta pick some good. I think you'd be the first person to make a selection from that medium. <laughs> oh, good. I'm hope I'm hoping that to raise awareness on your podcast. <laughs> um, I think. Ooh, okay. Well, we'll come back to that. <laughs> Rocket Raccoon. Okay. It's either it's either Rocket Raccoon or Groot. I think Rocket would have can more they, to say. Are they? Are here's the thing. Are they both? Can they count? Okay, as you one? know what? We, 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 we've had this. We've had this debate. This have. very debate has been hashed out. The thing, and yes, yes, you can have them both. They count as, as both. Okay. Yeah, they count as okay. one. Okay. Believe so, it or not, that has come up before. Ender, Ender, Howl, Rocket, and Groot. Uh, <laughs> just imagining Ender in the same room with anyone, <laughs> but Ender especially in the same room as Rocket Raccoon. Oh my god! Ender, Ender will sit in a corner and stare sullenly at Rocket and be making plans on how if to. If I were end sitting him. at if I were sitting at dinner with Ender Wigan, I would just reach over and say, "Can I give you a hug?" <laughs> and then, please don't be plotting how to end me. Yes. <laughs> um. So then it's got to be probably, it's going to be Kaneda from the amazing manga and anime Akira. Um, you probably Kaneda. have not. You, Kaneda! Yeah, there you go. So tell us, tell us one thing, something about that character, because I'm guessing, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that many of our listeners have not heard of that final character. Akira is one of the greatest manga and anime of all time. It's one of the... It heavily influenced um, animation, the movie, in um, Japan and changed that medium. 
um, forever and also brought anime over here to the West. So if you have not seen Akira or read the manga, I would recommend you do so now. You should go out right now and pick up a copy. The cool thing about Akira, uh, about Tets, uh, uh, Kaneda, it's Kaneda. He is a super leader of a biker gang and has to clash against his friend who develops super psychic telekinetic powers. The end. That's the end of my tangent. Wow. Who hasn't been there? (laughs) (laughs) And the the last character from fiction I would want to have edited for. Yeah, all five. There's too many good characters. Oh, God. Um, Now I'm deciding between a science fiction, another science fiction character or someone from Tolkien. Uh, I know who I'd pick from Tolkien, but I might I might you? save that for when we actually have our dinner guest draft. Uh, our dinner oh. guest. <laughs> you should invite me to that one. Okay. Uh, uh, my last pick uh, has got to be f- uh, Bilbo from The Hobbit. Oh, right. There you go. Interesting, uh, interesting it's going to be an interesting table. dinner table you know conversation. Uh, Bilbo would probably be fine with a talking tree. Yeah, I think I he'd get along well with Groot. <laughs> as well as with Howl, the, the wizard. Oh, yes. There you go. <clears throat> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes and leave us a review there. Uh, links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com and you can also find a list of all of our previous shows there and you can make suggestions or characters to us uh, or make suggestions of characters for us to, to discuss uh, by emailing us at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com and we're all on Twitter at protagonistpod at Todd K. Mac and at Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski and Joseph do you have a Twitter presence? I do not I have a Facebook presence though okay <laughs> Uh, you can, uh, like our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And if you'd like to buy a topic for us to discuss or just support us with a little financial donation, you can click on the support link at our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and another great story. So long. So long. Farewell. What what day is this posting, Todd? Production note, this will be edited out. <laughs>